Hi, everyone. Today, R.N. Ravley and I, who are both writers, are going to be reviewing and analyzing Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness novella. Published in 1899, this novella is widely seen as a critique of European colonialism in Africa. It also examines truth, morality, and power dynamics. To explore these themes, we will be asking various questions, starting with, what prompted you to read this book? For me, you know, one of the reasons I started reading this book was because I remembered that you, R.N. Ravelay, were inspired by the character of Kurtz from this book, specifically your character of Ingvar. I have long heard of this book, but I didn't bother to read it, even though it's been sitting on my shelf since 2016. I think the writing style really put me off since it was so flowery and hard to understand. Right. Uh, yes, I really was inspired by Kurtz and he is a fantastic character and we're going to get uh, to him in a few moments. Uh, the reason why I wanted to read this book is also the reason for which I find Joseph Conrad immensely inspirational for me. He wasn't a native English speaker, he was only fluent in his 20s, and yet he became one of the most acclaimed writers of English literature who is renowned, among other things, for the depth of the language used. That's a tremendous achievement, and he stands as proof that great writing doesn't depend on language in the sense that many people believe. Language use is a skill that can be learned, and literature also means concept, structure, character building, human nature, things that don't rely on language. As a Romanian who writes in English, Conrad's books are motivational for me in this sense and not only. Mm -hmm. Second question is, what is the book about? Essentially, this is a flashback where English seaman Charles Marlowe talks about his travels in Africa. He has always been fascinated by the blank spaces on maps. As such, he applies to work for the company, a large ovary trading organization working out of the Congo. As Charles sails up the river, he sees the brutality of colonialism, with many natives being forced to build railroads. He also hears about Mr. Kurtz from the manager of the company, a trader of ovary who is also the commander of a trading post. From what Marlowe learns, Kurtz appears to be multi-talented and charismatic. However, he's disappointed when he really meets him in real life and he finds out he is a cruel and egotistical man. He also happens to be insane. Kurtz is leading a group of natives and waging war against other groups to steal their ovary. Marlowe also meets a Russian trader and follower of Kurtz, who he calls the Harlequin due to his colorful patched clothing. As it turns out, Kurtz does not want to return home and prefers staying in the village with the natives. However, he is bald, sick, and ill, so Marlowe carries Kurtz back to his ship. As they get further and further away, Kurtz's health deteriorates, and Kurtz gives Marlowe some letters and a photograph of his fiancée, whom Marlowe calls the intended. Marlowe also accepts Kurtz's documents and photograph. A day after this, Kurtz is waiting for death. He utters the words, the horror, the horror, to Marlowe before he passes away. Once he returns to Europe, Marlowe visits Brussels, the sepulchral city. He finds himself unable to relate to the sepulchral city because everyone is more sheltered than he is. 
he eventually meets Kurtz's fiance, who is still mourning him a year after his death. Like the others, she has an idealized view of him and praises him for his virtues and achievements. She asks Marlo what his last words were, but Marlo doesn't want to hurt her feelings, so he tells her that Kurtz's last word was her name. And then we are going to look at the historical and literary context of this book. Right. So this book was published in um, 1899. So um, um, the, the literary current and the, the style that was uh, um, in, in fashion at the time was realism. And um, uh, we can think, for example, Dickens, because he is uh, uh, what people usually think about when uh, we say realism. So the style is very straightforward and linear, and uh, um, it, it is basically the simplest to understand in terms of language and in terms of narrative structure. The themes, um, we have a focus on human behaviors and a critique of society. So uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, psychology, uh, but this is mainly in, in terms of uh, uh, human behaviors and mentalities and interactions with others. But we don't see a lot of um, uh, in-depth analysis of uh, people's thoughts or their stream of consciousness this wasn't a thing yet and um with uh, the beginning of the um, 1900s, we slowly go towards modernism, which is starting to develop. And uh, um, in many ways, uh, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and also his earlier novel, Lord Jim, are seen as early modernism. So he was one of the pioneers of the genre. And this is very different. This is characterized by a convoluted style, um, deliberate deliberately difficult narratives, and it is also non-linear because um um, uh, writers of modernism believe that non-linearity is um, uh, much better able to express human experiences because our thoughts are not linear in our heads and um, also um, our perceptions can be quite chaotic. So um, a modernist tries to reflect this in their style. And in terms of themes, um, we see a distrust in both human nature and society. So um, this is not really the way we see in, in realism where we see that there is uh, good in people and it's some most often uh, prevails uh, after a lot of trials, for example. And so modernism is usually more pessimistic. Mm -hmm. So now let's see how um, uh, Heart of Darkness um, shares traits of both realism and modernism. So first of all, realism uh, and how Conrad subverts his expectations. First of all, Heart of Darkness can be seen as a travel narrative, which were very popular at the time. But Conrad's story is not about a place, not about an adventure, not about events, not about the resolution of a conflict, because uh, what, the uh, what the protagonist actually learns is that the world is savage. And in the end, he lies in order to hide it. So he, he learns to, to lie, if you will. Um, 
Uh, it is also characterized by a critique on colonialism and social structures. So this would go into the um, um, into the realism uh, with the critique of society. But instead of offering an answer to this, the story shows that people are powerless against the system and humans in the absence of laws become evil, like Kurtz. But the society is also evil because it maintains harmful systems and it sweeps evil deeds under the rug in the name of civilization. And uh, the novel also depicts the ivory trade in Africa, so it could uh, um, be seen on the surface as a realistic depiction of events happening at the time when it is written. But Conrad's Africa is not the real Africa. It is rather a symbolic place full of absurdity and enigmas. Mm -hmm. As for modernism, um, we see many more traits here. Um, we see a renewed focus on form, which we remember that we used to see a lot of uh, during Romanticism, but then during realism, form was as straightforward as possible in order that uh, the message can prevail. But here we also see a renewed in, uh, focus on form, um, which is deliberately difficult, as we said, with the addition of symbolism, heavy language, careful structure, defined by themes and symbols. So uh, this book starts from themes, not really from plots or from characters. Um, so yes, the, we see the prevalence of theme over character, and we also see a multi-layered interpretation. So it's not very easy to, to discern what the book is about. There are several answers to this. It can be a political statement of, of the evil of imperialism and of racism. Um, maybe it is a critique of hierarchy and bureaucracy. Maybe it is a statement on the evil of human nature in the absence of society. It could also be a journey to the self, or it could also be a descent into hell, into the heart of Africa and into the heart of um, um, colonialism. And also this book, as uh, are all modernist books, is heroless because the protagonist is not really a hero and um, all the characters, um, there is no uh, clear um, delimitation between evil and good. Totally agreed. And our fourth question is about narrative technique. So The Heart of Darkness is a story within a story, a framed narrative. It also has a double narrator. The real narrator of the story is not Marlowe, but actually an anonymous, anonymous narrator who is listening to Marlowe's story, who is observing Marlowe as he tells his story. He is hypnotized by what Marlowe is saying and seems to be considering him enlightened since he considers him to be a meditating Buddha. This begs the question, why did Conrad choose an anonymous narrator? It's to illuminate the capacity of words to deceive and confuse, I think. The narrator has difficulty seeing Marlowe's face, just like Marlowe struggles to understand who Kurtz is, and by extension, what colonialism is, because Kurtz, in a way, symbolizes colonialism. 
Right. So um, to better understand what a technique does, let's compare the selective omniscience uh, that uh, we see here in this book, because uh, as we are following uh, Marlowe, we only see his perspective, right? Versus a first person narrative. So um, if instead of seeing Marlowe from the arts, from the outside, like in an RPG game, if you will, um, we would have Marlowe describing his travels in the first person. Then we wouldn't be able to see him as a meditating Buddha, right? Because we would never see Marlowe from the outside, we would never visualize him from the point of view of someone else. So this technique also sheds light on Marlowe, thus making him not a stand-in for the reader, which he couldn't be, especially for us nowadays, because our mentalities differ greatly from his own, but a man of his time. And also, and now let's compare it to the omniscience. What if we had a full omniscience, right? A godlike narrator who shows us the perspective of every character and also explains what's going on. Because now we don't see things that go on in the absence of Marlowe. Well, then we wouldn't have Kurtz, uh, because what's brilliant about this character is that we only truly see him towards the end of the book, but we hear about him all throughout. And that's because we only know what Marlowe knows. So the selective omniscience is great in creating suspense and shaping characters. Mm -hmm. Yes. So one of the reasons why Marlowe isn't a reliable narrator is because he doesn't align with modern standards. As such, he's not a stand-in for the modern reader, but everything is colored through his perspective. The way he describes the natives really epitomizes this. For instance, he describes Kurtz's mistress as, quote, wild and gorgeous apparition of a woman. He also describes the Africans he encounters as, quote, unquote, savages, despite his negative feelings about colonialism. Accordingly, this book has been called racist, since Marlowe does not decolonize all of his thoughts. As we will cover later in this book review, he still views Native Africans in a racist light. And, you know, this really sheds light on what um, R.N. Robley just said here about, you know, omniscience versus first person and how Marlowe is a man of his time. Right. Very much so. Next question is, how does the character of Kurtz strike you? For me, Kurtz is a terrifying man. He looks like a skeleton and looks very surreal, and he's capable of extreme cruelty. He's also charismatic and talented, since everyone, other than Marlowe, seems to be under his spell. He is a very enigmatic character, and the narrative technique helps build him and make him shine. The reader, along with Marlowe, learns about Kurtz long before he appears in the novel. And um, from the accounts of others, he is described in apparently contradicting ways. Um, like you said, he is uh, shown as a, a renaissance man. He is someone who is uh, good at a lot of things. Uh, he is uh, seen as very ambitious. And uh, some people believe that um, um, he, um, he got where he is due to his connections. Other, thing, other people think that um, um, he got there due to his uh, extraordinary skills. So uh, we see... Uh, 
about both good and bad traits, and we don't really know what to make of this character. But one of the themes in this book is truth. And I love how it's handled in this contradictory aspects of Curtis's personality, especially in that scene with Marlo and Curtis's fiance that you mentioned. When Marlo meets Kurtz, um, he's actually quite disappointed, right? Because uh, he believed him to be this extraordinary character based on what other people said. But as it turns out, Kurtz is a cruel egomaniac who wants everybody to worship him. So he is much worse than Marlo had imagined. Um, he also seems to be suffering from delusions of grandeur uh, since he is essentially running a cult in the middle of a jungle. So he's leading the tribe to wage war against other tribes to steal their ivory. Uh, so um, um, then people still worship him after his death. Right? The intended, for instance, still mourns him uh, a year after his death, as you mentioned, and still venerates him from here for his achievements and virtues. Mm-hmm. So the, this is how the um, the truth um, comes into play here because Marlo has to hide it. Yes, he does. And then now we're going to talk about how Kurtz compares to R.N. Ravelli or Hellevorn's character, Ingvar. So both of these characters, I would say, are terrifying, but in a different way. Both Kurtz and Ingvar are interested in art and knowledge and existential matters, although it's not what one would expect from people like them. Also, both of them are obsessed with civilizing people, but Kurtz is doing it to another people, while Ingvar is doing it for his own group, the Norse in medieval Norway. Also, Kurtz is able to be charismatic and hold people under his spell, and Ingvar can do that too, but it's for a much better and less self-serving purpose. That's true. And the similarities decrease as Marlowe goes up the river since uh, during this journey, Kurtz proves to be more and more terrifying. Whereas with Ingvar, it's really the other way around. So the reader through the character of Aiden, who is the um, um, protagonist from whose perspective we learn of Ingvar, um, he learns that Ingvar is much less negative than he initially appears. And the way in which I uh, was inspired by this um, my, by this book was um, uh, in the narrative perspective. So this is what I wanted to show. I really love that technique of uh, presenting somebody from the um, eyes and words of other people and uh, only then getting to know him. So this is what I tried to do. Mm-hmm. The sixth question is, is the heart of darkness racist? Although the heart of darkness is a critique on colonialism, it can be constructed as racist because Marlowe is is depicted as someone who doesn't question racist beliefs. Specifically, he doesn't ever seem to critique the view that Africans are savages, although he dislikes colonialism. He seems to focus more on how Europeans shouldn't be doing colonialism rather than the fact that colonialism is harming Africans. Also, Marlowe doesn't see Africans as individual people. He always describes them as a mass of interchangeable people. He recognizes their suffering, but it's always in a very generalized way. Meanwhile, every white person in the book is recognized as an individual. Further, Marlowe sees the Congo as an experience. 
not only for himself as a way to learn more about humanity and truth, but for the other Europeans too, such as the Russian and, of course, Kurds. Marlowe never thinks about Black people's thoughts, only the other white people he's encountered. For Marlowe to be less racist, he would see Africa as a place in its own right, where Black people can be protagonists. Unfortunately, Black people are seen as cameos in their own land, while white people are the protagonists who get to decide everything. Kind of like how white American colonialists saw America as, quote, a new land to be discovered, despite the facts that Native Americans were already living there. But then again, the book is from Marlowe's perspective, and not necessarily a reflection of Conrad himself, since Marlowe is a character. As such, it's hard to say whether the book is necessarily racist. Kurtz and Marlowe definitely are, though. Indeed. Um, this is a, a very dark and pessimistic novel full of very heavy themes. So you aren't supposed to like any of the characters here, um, as it usually happens with modernism. So this book is extremely conscious of the horrors of colonialism and slavery and the hypocrisy and evil of people. And arguably the evil in the book is represented by white people and their politics. So you mentioned the land which is discovered. Yes, here my describes Africa as a previously white spot on the map, which is now beginning to catch shape because white people are arrived there to map it. But he also says that the arrival of white people darkens it. And we have a scene where white men talk about ivory and they, and I quote, whispered the word as if they were worshiping it. So it's this corruption and this thirst for money and power and their unscrupulousness, that of the white people, which corrupts Africa. Black people, on the other hand, that they aren't depicted as good either, which is, well, not racist because the trope of the bon sauvage, of the um, good savage, as it was uh, um, called in literary analysis, is just as racist because it, it is being dismissive of people's motives. And um, it, it would be creating a character, um, a one-trait character. Could there have been a Black character which is actually fleshed out in the book? Absolutely. And I think that this would have enhanced the book greatly if written in the same heavy and brutal manner in which every other character here is written. I would have loved to see how that uh, Black character conceptualized Kurtz in the ivory trade. But the question is, was Conrad truly qualified to speak for Black people? Um, was Marlowe, who did not know any Black people and could not uh, speak the country's language? Conrad and Marlowe in the text describe what they know firsthand, the colonialist mentalities of Conrad's time, which were undoubtedly racist. Uh, but in depicting the racism, Conrad is pointing it out as a horror. So in this sense, the book is opposite of that. So um, sure, I, I, I always quote uh, Oscar Wilde in situations like this, who said that there is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well-written and badly written. And this is what I usually quote when uh, people are uh, uh, judging the, the message of a book. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what are the flaws of this book? I would say the definitely the flowery writing style and the long sentences. A lot of the time, it was hard to understand what Conrad was suggesting or describing. 
However, it's understandable since English was his third language and he only became fluent in his 20s. It is quite convoluted. And when it comes to masters of literature like Conrad, I avoid pointing out flaws because authors like this really knew what they were doing. And so this is modernism, which means it's deliberately difficult to understand and convoluted. So it's not for the lazy reader. You have to solve the puzzles and traps that the author lays out. And it is part of the charm, but it's definitely not something you want to read for relaxation and escapism. So uh, you really have to be all in if you want to read this book. So I, I think it's a wonderful book, um, but you know it, it, it depends, like you said, in what moment and what kind of um, um, uh, mood you are in and what mood you want to be in after you finish it. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And also uh, the flaw is the uh, potential racism that we discussed, right? But uh, since it uh, it has a um, it is embedded in the uh, style uh, with the narrative technique, as we said, so uh, right, exactly. Finally, what's our rating? For me, it's four out of five stars or maybe three out of five when I have a headache because this does take a lot of energy to read. But generally, this is a very good glimpse into the cult-like behavior of colonialists or you know any other cults. And I would have loved to see Marlowe de- deconstruct his thoughts more, but that is really the only critique I have besides you know, the convoluted language. And I would have liked to see him confront his own racist beliefs. But that might be asking too much since this is a short story and it is from the 19th century. That's true. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you.